and a practicing barrister is always supposed to be capable of filling any situation which may come his way. Two years after his wife's death, Mr. Vavasor was appointed assistant commissioner in some office which had to do with insolvents, and which was abolished three years after his appointment. It was at first thought that he would keep his eight hundred a year for life and be required to do nothing for it, but a wretched, cheese-paring Whig government, as John Vavasor called it when describing the circumstances of the arrangement to his father down in Westmoreland, would not permit this. It gave him the option of taking four hundred a year for doing nothing, or of keeping his whole income and attending three days a week for three hours a day during term time at a miserable, dingy little office near Chancery Lane, where his duty would consist in signing his name to accounts which he never read, and at which he was never supposed even to look. He had sulkily elected to keep the money, and this signing had been now for nearly twenty years the business of his life. Of course, he considered himself to be a very hardly used man. One Lord Chancellor after another he petitioned, begging that he might be relieved from the cruelty of his position, and allowed to take his salary without doing anything in return for it. The amount of work which he did perform was certainly a minimum of labour. Term time, as terms were counted in Mr. Vavasor's office, hardly comprised half the year, and the hours of weekly attendance did not do more than make one day's work a week for a working man. But Mr. Vavasor had been appointed an assistant commissioner, and with every Lord Chancellor he argued that all Westminster Hall and Lincoln's Inn to boot had no right to call upon him to degrade himself by signing his name to accounts. In answer to every memorial he was offered the alternative of freedom with half his income. And so the thing went on. There can, however, be no doubt that Mr. Vavasor was better off and happier with his almost nominal employment than he would have been without it. He always argued that it kept him in London, but he would undoubtedly have lived in London with or without his official occupation. He had become so habituated to London life in a small way before the choice of leaving London was open to him that nothing would have kept him long away from it. After his wife's death, he dined at his club every day, on which a dinner was not given to him by some friend elsewhere, and was rarely happy except when so dining. They who have seen him scanning the steward's list of dishes and giving the necessary orders for his own and his friend's dinner at about half-past four in the afternoon, have seen John Vavasor at the only moment of the day at which he is ever much in earnest. All other things are light and easy to him, to be taken easily and to be dismissed easily. Even the eating of the dinner calls forth from him no special sign of energy. Sometimes a frown will gather on his brow as he tastes the first half-glass from his bottle of claret— but as a rule that which he has prepared for himself with so much elaborate care is consumed with only pleasant enjoyment. Now and again it will happen that the cook is treacherous even to him, and then he can hit hard. But in hitting he is quiet, and strikes with a smile on his face. Such had been Mr. Vavasor's pursuits and pleasures in life up to the time at which my story commences— but I must not allow the reader to suppose that he was a man without good qualities. Had he, when young, possessed the gift of industry, I think that he might have shone in his profession, and have been well spoken of and esteemed in the world. As it was, he was a discontented man, but nevertheless he was popular, and to some extent esteemed. He was liberal as far as his means would permit. He was a man of his word, 
and he understood well that code of bylaws which was presumed to constitute the character of a gentleman in his circle. He knew how to carry himself well among men, and understood thoroughly what might be said and what might not, what might be done among those with whom he lived, and what should be left undone. By nature, too, he was kindly disposed, loving many persons a little if he loved few or none passionately. Moreover, at the age of fifty, he was a handsome man, with a fine forehead round which the hair and beard was only beginning to show itself to be grey. He stood well with a large person, only now beginning to become corpulent. His eyes were bright and grey, and his mouth and chin were sharply cut and told of gentle birth. Most men who knew John Vavasor well declared it to be a pity that he should spend his time in signing accounts in Chancery Lane. I have said that Alice Vavasor's big relatives cared but little for her.